God commands us to let his word dwell in us richly in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We're to worship him musically. We're to proclaim his word musically. And so we want to train up our, our students, our children, to be able to sing skillfully with music, to understand what they're doing. Bible says sing with understanding. But it's all couched in studying God's word, growing up as Christian worshipers. Sometimes I know people are a little scared of music camp because maybe they're not a musical family, but it's, it's for everybody. It's a mix of real beginners and more advanced students, and they help one another that way. But the thing that really gives it weight and, and glory is that the, the whole week is focused towards a concert, a glorious presentation of the music we've been working on all week long. So there's this goal in mind. There's something that the students not just participate in, but actively create. I'll see students who come in who have had no musical experience. You can tell they're overwhelmed by first day. They're just awed by it because they've been part of something that is new to them and much larger than them, something they've not experienced before. And I would say the majority of times, those kinds of students come back because they've tasted something that's really glorious, a uh, foretaste of heaven. These students uh, are learning through the course of their time at music camp not to be music consumers, but to be active participants in making music. So not only to learn how to sing well, how to understand music as it's written on a page and how it comes together in a group environment, but to be able to take those experiences and have them be the seeds that are planted for their involvement their whole life in the musical life of the church. We want these students to be the next wave of worshipers in the church who know how to sing to God. Pretty smooth, huh, Toby? Whoa. I don't need Knox. I just need a little bit of volume. In that's fact, all. I'm, okay, okay. Volume. Come on. I'm just going to, when Knox comes back, that's his new seat. <laughs> <laughs> He's devoted. Yeah. Hey, y'all, welcome to Cross Politics on the Fight Lab Feast Network. Good to be with you. We all have uh, Pastor Yuri Brito coming up to talk about his new book, The War of the Priesthood. Kepler is an online marketplace for classical Christian education that assures parents maintain their agency without forfeiting the assistance and expertise of qualified conservative Christian teachers. Kepler offers university model courses in the classical tradition that fits your schedule and your budget. Visit www.kepler.education, that's K-E-P-L-E-R.education, and use their simple search tool to find the course and the teacher that meets your child's needs, or simply ask for help to get assistance from a real human being. Real people. Real people at mm -hmm. Kepler.education. And, and this is a free a free plug, because yeah. we love plugging schools. Yeah, and yeah. And, uh, and churches yeah, in this churches. case. Yeah, yeah. yeah, sick of anemic milk toast and squishy evangelicalism so are we that's why we launched christ bible church we is like the royal we i i didn't personally yeah. but uh, christ the people bible who church, gave us this ad yeah. we. <laughs> <laughs> they launched uh christ bible church in saint paul minnesota christ oh. bible church exists to glorify god by bringing all of christ into all of life we aim to preach and live in light of christ's sacrificial death no matter what the world says so if you're interested in bold preaching, culture building, sweet fellowship, and applying the Lordship of Jesus Christ to all of life, and you're in the St. Paul, Minnesota area, yeah. check them out on a Sunday morning, uh, Christ Bible Church. You can find out more information at www.christbible.net, or maybe you have a friend 
or relative in the region yeah. who uh, needs a good church is is yeah. is languishing at a milk toast evangelical church. I, I like how they got christbible.net i mean christbible.net i don't know if i'd work with the dot net but i mean i'll take it hey, i'll take it that's, pretty good. Bible. that's yeah. pretty good yeah hey as gabe said we're really grateful to have back with us our old friend the reverend archbishop dr <laughs> yuri brito not really archbishop but uh he serves as senior pastor at providence church in pensacola florida He's on the board of the Theopolis Institute and New St. Andrews College and and is the senior fellow for pastoral theology for the Center of Cultural Leadership. He's also currently serving. Oh, my goodness. It, it, what, what are you not doing, Yuri? He's also yeah. serving as the presiding minister of the CREC. Yuri, thanks for coming back on Cross Politic. Thank you so much. Uh, delight to be with you guys again. Absolutely. So uh, you got to. Brand new book coming out. Is it actually, is it out, out? It's been out for a couple of weeks now, okay. and uh, it was a real delight to be in your neighborhood a few days ago, yep. and uh, had a little a book sign event and a little lecture oh, on the book. Right. It was just uh, yeah. very well received. I had a great time. So uh, the book's called The War of the Priesthood, uh, mm -hmm. an exposition of the armor of God. Um, I, I want to begin by actually asking about, um, you, you actually have an interesting dedication uh, for this book. Yeah. You, you dedicated this book to the called conference staff. And, and you talk about this a little bit in the introduction, Yuri, but w why dedicate a book to a, a high school youth conference, not just a conference, but to the staff of the conference? Yeah, it was a, it was a wonderful story. I mean, I, I speak in conferences all over the country and sometimes in South America too. And I speak to high school conferences, college conferences. There, there was something unique about this. And what was unique about it was that this, this staff had a, a very harmonious way of looking at how the week would unfold. Uh, you know, typically I'll do a, a lecture or a talk, interact, and then sometimes speakers kind of just go their separate ways, but they really encouraged me to stick around and follow the trajectory, the journey of, of the young folks uh, throughout the week. And I did. I uh, got hurt a few times in some of the physical exercises. <laughs> but most of all, what was, was really meaningful was that we built a very, uh, just a wonderful intimacy throughout the week. You get to see each other in prime time and in non-prime time and meal after meal, and you begin to know about each other. And I built such a, a healthy engagement with these, with these folks. And I also watched them day after day, bringing all these young folks into the conversation and into the, into the, uh, into the house itself. So that when I did a lecture, it was very clear that they had digested, interacted with the content throughout the evening devotionals, and every day became better than the other. And it was just really beautiful to spend two weeks with them. And uh, uh, in, in some cases, I just felt uh, very united. I think I wanted to adopt one or two, but uh, that's a separate <laughs> conversation. So uh, you can you can find out. It's, it's called um, the called uh, conference. Yeah. Where where is it? Is, is there a it website? It used to be called Conference Ninja because I I, yeah. I, I, was, I liked. <laughs> and then and then they fired you. They, they fired me. And they're like games two. I don't know what he's doing here. Dot Ninja. I love Dot Ninja. Uh, anyways, um, but uh, anyways, if you go to New St Andrews College, I think you can probably find yeah. it on there. But um, uh, the New St Andrews College 
um, sponsors this youth conference every world view. It's world view uh, youth conference. Yeah, every, world view every youth summer, conference yeah. every uh, every summer, and mm. there's there's two weeks. Um, you can pick one of the weeks, and uh, they have a special speaker like um, Pastor Yuri. Um, check it out it's for high schoolers. Uh, a Christian worldview. I, I mean, it kind of is like a boot camp of sorts. Yeah. Kind of, kind of yeah. is yeah. kind of like ninja training. Yeah, that's why I did it. I know. <laughs> Who, nobody listens to you, Gabe. No, nobody understands. Um, so, um, this why this topic right now? Um, it's on the armor of God, um, but it, it's this is like not. I don't know. Like I don't. I don't know if there's another book about the armor of God that's quite like this, where you're yeah. try, you're applying this to our cultural moment, like mm-hmm. like you know people playing with. Uh, you know, gender role and um, and you know, male female marriage, sexuality, uh, the woke stuff. Um, why is the armor of God? How is that connected? Well, a great question. A, a couple of things to keep in mind. I think I think the book is very uh, strategic in timing, uh, and it, it's certainly very befitting for what Aaron Rain calls the negative world. Mm-hmm. So, if you if you live in a world where everyone is in opposition, where the gospel affirmation, the gospel, quote, identity is the kind of thing that's despised and mocked and, and laughed. This book is appropriate for this season of the church. It's been appropriate for every season of the church, but in part, sure. there's a particularity to the age in which we live, which the ethical discourse is uh, completely out of harmony with any creational paradigm. But the book itself, it, it came really, the the thought of it, the genesis of it came during the early days of COVID. I was assigned to write a chapter for a book that was edited by Andrew Sandlin. Uh-huh. And as I thought about the, the description of what was taking place in those days, I, I was thinking about how to describe the narrative. And I thought to myself, here is a man uttering from the White House podium in imperatives of what the people must do. If those imperatives are not met, if those sacrifices are not absorbed by the people, he has a group of individuals who will enforce those imperatives, right. who will offer a a judgment based on the failure to observe those imperatives. And then these people are going to come to your front door And they're going to say, do you or do you not accept these offerings? Hmm. And as I thought through that paradigm, I thought, this is a priestly way of looking at the world. They're coming. You got a a priest named Anthony Fauci. Mm -hmm. He has Mm -hmm. people who will dispense his, quote, legislation Mm -hmm. imperatives. Mm -hmm. And then you got people literally practicing very liturgical ways of speaking. And, And what I mean by that is there are repetitive themes being spoken every 14 days, right? Two weeks, two weeks, two weeks. And that sort of liturgical rhythm is very priestly in nature, which means that they want their offerings to be uh, acceptable to their God. And I thought, what better biblical motif than the priestly motif to say Christians are constantly in a war? We either fight on behalf of the great high priest or we fight on behalf of the false priests of the world. And that priestly motif is incorporated into the institutionalization of how uh, government functions. And the last four years have, have shown us very dramatically that these people function like priests day after day after day. They have their rhythms. They have 
their dress ups, mm-hmm. they have their clothing, they have their armor, they have their armor pieces, they have their prayers, their benedictions. Mm-hmm. And I think that was very much a the rootedness of why I wrote the book is that we need to be prepared in season and out of season because the alternative priesthood is also prepared. That's so, good. So uh, Yuri, um, you're you're using a lot of like priest language and and the and. Um, not just metaphor, but um, because God called us all all priests in the New Testament. Uh, how does how does that language maybe connect to a bunch of high schoolers who are kind of sorting through this moment? Yeah, great question. I think you know the, the first thing is you have to overcome the the biblical illiteracy of of our mm. day, and you have to introduce uh, a kind of foreign language, and it's a language that's foreign to most evangelicals. Uh, here in the South where I live and certainly where, where you guys live as well. So it's, it's just, it's a, it's a, you know, it's inescapable concept. But the other thing is you have to bring a level of familiarity to these things. And that means you have to distill language of consecration, language of rituals. And one way you do that is by going through those passages like Exodus 28, 29, Leviticus 8 and 9, and dissecting, looking at you know, fragment piece after fragment piece. This, these are the garments of the priest. This is why the colors make are so significant, what they symbolize. This is what the holy place is. So little by little, you begin to untangle what some people view as as foreign territory. Mm -hmm. And then when that happens, you can begin to enter the world of Paul. Paul has one primary language. And that primary language is used in whatever context he's in, whether he's addressing a Roman context, an Athenian context, a a Cretan context, Mm -hmm. a Gentile Jew context. His primary language is the Old Testament structure. And that language is translated to whatever Paul, the reason Paul can communicate to all people at all Mm -hmm. times and in all places Mm -hmm. is because he only uses the same language. And that language that we see in the Old Testament is translatable and adaptable to all places and all peoples. And so when you begin to talk like that, even to high schoolers who may be unfamiliar, they may be more easily uh, prone to accepting and understanding that language because they don't have too much to undo. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas mm-hmm. folks that are a little bit older have just, <laughs> they have, they, they have uh, projected a certain language to the Bible. That's not actually there. Do you think um, part of the problem is, is, you know, we have this disconnect or distinction between um, adults who are more Christian than kids who are, you know, growing and becoming, you know, better Christians or whatever. And the same way we have this distinction between like, oh, okay, well, the adults, you know, they can maybe represent the priesthood here on earth, but the kids can't, hmm. you know, the, 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 we, the, we can't, um, we, we make a, 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 almost a priestly distinction here on earth. Cause God, God says, oppose it in Hebrews that we're all priests, right? But then maybe the kids, maybe we don't view the kids like, okay, you don't represent priesthood here on earth yet. Does that make sense? That question makes sense, Yuri? Yeah, yeah, you haven't uh, you, you haven't reached the uh, the magic age yeah. where the the outfit fits you, mm-hmm. and I think I think the, the analogy of that is the analogy of of Saul and David, right? I think I think Saul wanted to impose uh, an army, a grown up army, on a teenager, and David says, "No, no, I've had the, the I've had this armor for a long time." Yahweh is the God of war. I've carried this armor when I killed, you know, lions and tigers Mm. and bears, and Mm. I'm going to continue to wear this armor. 
This has been a part of my identity, which is why David says in Psalm 22, 9, from my mother's breasts, I have trusted in you, mm. right? From my mother's, from my nursing days, the armor has been on me. I don't need any new armor. Yahweh is my armor. Mm. And so there is a sense in which we we minimize the role of, of children when the psalmist itself speaks very highly in Psalm 8, uh, 2, 3, 4, that whole section there. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, I have declared my praise to frighten foe and avenger. So I, I tell this to my congregation a lot here in Pensacola, that every time a little child starts screaming in the middle of the service, just remember he is intensifying his war cry against the devil. <laughs> and when you when you think of these categories, then you realize that what the disciples were doing in the Gospel of Matthew is something very unchristian, is that they were trying to set Jesus' calendar, and Jesus says to them, don't keep these children from coming to me. The very purpose of the kingdom is established in them. They are the carriers of this holy armor. So it's not just uh, modern adults who fall into this trap. It's even the disciples who thought they knew better how to schedule Jesus' itinerant ministry. Speaking of enemies and avengers, uh, we, we actually came across this ad that, um, that we want to play for you. And uh, we, we, it's there was a there's there's some there's some something about it that just kind of remind. Well, you, you, his of, book talks a lot book. about the Satan yeah. father of lies. Yeah, talks yeah, a lot I, about I, lies. Yeah, so. I wasn't going to say that. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> all right. My, my fault. I got a little antsy there. I was like, ah. Let me give you the punchline now. It's about Satan. <laughs> my <All> producer's <laughs> mad. He's like, oh, Gabe, you screwed it up. Play it. <laughs> Ouch. So, Pastor Yuri. Great. Uh, <laughs> this, this, this is uh, from the Babylon Bee, by the way. Um, <laughs> Satan, he, he gets us. Uh, you actually spend quite a bit of time in your book um, kind of unpacking who Satan is. Um, wh- why do you spend so much time on that theme? And and any any comments you have on, on the ad, or you don't have to say anything about the ad if you don't want to, but... <laughs> No, I mean, the, the ad is very, very apropos because I think this is the, we have uh, believed a certain, uh, a certain sociological agenda for how God views us, which means we have, and I think this plays into the book itself, is that you have two options when it comes to the armor of God. You can be what Calvin calls an idol factory, and if that's the case, then you fabricate your own armor, and you can use whatever names for it you want. Instead of the, the sword of the spirit, you can say it's a sword of sentimentality. Instead of the helmet of salvation, you can say it's the helmet of niceness. So you can fabricate your own armor. Mm-hmm. That's a real, obviously, that's a real danger because it changes the purpose of it. And once you change the purpose and the definition of the thing, then that is going to be used and tailored for only evil purposes. But the reason I think the the role of the devil plays such a significant thing, uh, Paul establishes the context of the armor of God for a couple of reasons. He says that you must understand the schemes of the devil. 
And you must understand who you're fighting, which he declares uh, principalities and powers, for example. Right. Which is why, incidentally, I don't think Paul has the Roman soldier in mind, because if he's saying you're fighting against principalities and powers, it would be odd for Paul to say, therefore, imitate the embodiment of principalities and powers, which is a Roman soldier. Right. And that would, it just wouldn't make sense. And so what what Paul is saying is that in order for you to put on the armor, you need to know what the purpose is to putting on the armor. You can't just walk around aimlessly, uh, missionlessly, wandering around uh, with your embodied decorations, walking around with with priestly sashes, which I think is a perfect definition of what you see in mainline churches, right? These guys have had all the attires. They have the garments, the vestments, but they're just the blind leading the guy, the, the blind. Why? Because they are of their father, the devil. If you wander around in a supposed self-fabricated armor without a mission, then what you are doing is what you know for a fact is that there is a mission to be followed. It's just not the mission God has called you to, but you are serving somebody and identifying who the enemy is, is the first step, which is why and when you, we when we baptize our infants, we, we're saying they're being incorporated to a, a new army. They're fighting a new war. Mm-hmm. And, and that's very crucial because at that very moment, at the moment they're baptized, they are entering into a priesthood that fights for one team, for one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Without that identification, without describing this sort of biographical sketch of the devil itself, uh, you might as well be fighting yourself and you're going to be fighting against the causes of Jesus Christ. It strikes me too, just even in the, the ancient, um, I don't, we don't use this form in our church. I don't know if you do, but I know in, in the ancient forms of, for baptism included a renunciation of the devil. <laughs> it, it, like you renounce the devil and all his evil works, mm-hmm. um, and and but I can work with that because well, no, yeah. it is. But yeah. I mean, I think there's a right instinct. I mean, whether you, you yeah. need to do that specific language or not, I yeah. think there's an yeah. instinct that says that um, baptism is uh, an incorporation yeah. into the army uh-huh. of God. Um, one of the um, the 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 ways that um, I think is, I think this is Augustine. Uh, maybe you remember Yuri um, describes um, the, his understanding of of what a sacrament is. Um, has to do with like the um, the insignia mm-hmm. um, that mm-hmm. you you like you 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 have on your arm or like on your your uniform mm-hmm. um, that marks y- your your military status. Yeah. Um, and mm. and so baptism is is like that mm-hmm. uh, for Christians. Um, it says that we are in we are in the army of God, and so by being in the mm-hmm. army of God, we are sworn enemies then right. of the devil. Well, that kind of points to like there's just no neutrality, right? Either you're on Satan's right. army or you're yeah. on God's army, yeah. And we've it seems like the the church has bought into this neutrality all the way to to baptism. Yeah, and one one of the problems, of course, we saw in previous years, and you guys experienced this in Moscow as well. One of the problems is that many individuals, particularly men in our evangelical culture, thought that they could be just fine put in the armor only when it was in their mind necessary. But then they realized very quickly that they didn't have to prepare for war in those days. And in our day, the war comes to us. So what happens when the war shows up in your front door? What happens when the men with nice suits Mm -hmm. say, hey, uh, do this or else. And in many evangelicals, in many ways have said, hey, here's the, here's the keys. Uh, I'll give you the codes. (laughs) I'll give you the, the fridge. And, um, you know, would you like some fries with that? Yeah. 
Man. He, uh, he gets us, Satan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're on a mission to make magazines great again. So subscribe to our Fight, Laugh, Feast magazine. The first issue of this year, 2024, is on Prodigal America. Prodigal America is the theme of this year's Fight, Laugh, Feast conference in Fort Worth, That's Texas. Right. If you go to prodigalamerica.com, you can sign up. But this, this year, um, this first issue of the year is... Um, is Prodigal America. This is a quarterly a mini book-like experience. The magazine is packed full of a variety of authors that includes theologically driven cultural commentary. Uh, we do a psalm of the quarter with some instructions related to it. Recipes to encourage you in your feasting. Laughter sprinkled, just sprinkled throughout the glossy. <laughs> I, no. <laughs> I don't know how you sprinkle laughter, but anyways, we do that. Sign your church up. Metaphor. Sign up your grumpy uncle, and while you're at it, sign up Elon Musk mm-hmm. and Russell Moore mm-hmm. um, at fightlaughfeast.com. Fightlaughfeast.com. Find the magazine and subscribe today. You don't want to miss, especially this this next issue coming out, Prodigal America. Um, get your taste buds yeah. uh, going for this yeah. year's conference. I, th- I think Yuri, you've you've written for us before, haven't you? Yeah, I think I think I just I wrote for the the latest magazine that came out uh, a month or two ago, the and Christmas I had an article edition. on First Corinthians eleven about the uh, the liturgical roles of men and women in mm-hmm. the church and how that affects the household as well. It was a, just a, a real joy. That so, was a deck the heretics. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, correct. Yuri, uh, well, actually, on that on that note, I want to I want to do you. I don't I don't remember. I don't recall um, if you developed this in this book or if if you have given this some thought, but how does um, how does thinking about Christians as priests how does that preserve male female distinctions and not blur them? Because some, sometimes I think you have that exa- you know we are there's neither male nor female in Christ all are one this kind of language we are all priests Yuri and that's why you can have you know priestesses and 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 ladies uh, giving sermons uh, you know in Alistair Begg's church. Um, well, mm. <laughs> um, how, how, how do you answer that given this emphasis on priesthood? Well, you know, you, first of all, you have to go back to, to creation, which is the, the source of all, all good theology. Any theology that is corrupted is a theology that has neglected the first three chapters of the Bible. Yeah. And if you go back to creation, then you see that God has established a first priest and that priest is a, a male priest, which is why headship belongs to him. And even though the devil came and spoke to a woman, it's very clear that Adam assumes that headship responsibility. Adam's fundamental failure in the garden was of not protecting his bride. He should have led his bride into into warfare, into battle. They should have they should have continued in this joint mission of of dominion. Adam failed that as as the first priest. And what you see throughout the Bible also is the role of of male priests, because that's the only kind of priest there is. In other words, male priests bring the bride into the priesthood, but that priesthood is represented by a male figure at all times. When that distinction is erased, what you have is uh, what you have. What you have is chaos within the camp. Hmm. That's what happens. You have chaos within the camp when men don't fulfill their roles of protecting and guarding the bride, then what happens is that serpents come into the sacred spaces and deceive the bride Mm. into believing 
that she should be the priest. And so what happened in the Garden of Eden was a reversal of, of roles. Uh, Adam allowed the devil to come in and he said, hey, look, it's Friday night. I'm going to give you an open mic night. Tell me all the jokes, do whatever you want. And what happened was what Adam was actually doing was giving the pulpit to the devil himself and allowing the devil to change the roles that were established in creation of male and female. And that's why Paul goes through great lengths in 1 Corinthians 11 to detail that the, the role of, of the priest, specifically uh, the male, is one of protection. When those roles are exchanged, they're exchanged for a lie. And that is, in my estimation, the first step of sexual confusion, which leads to other sexual mm. confusions. Mm. It, it's very hard to conceive of a church who becomes friendly towards LB, LGBT causes without first not having given over the pulpit to that fault to, to that alternative priesthood. So confusion of sexes begins primarily on the pulpit, and then that plays itself out to other other forms of sexuality that Paul describes in Romans one. We're gonna go to backstage. You're gonna stop there? Yeah, yeah. I I have I have another I have two more questions. I, I have uh, actually talking about my appearance on Jason Whitlock. I actually have a question. Oh, Matt, All actually, right. for, All right. for if, you're, if you're a pub member, join us backstage. If you're single, get married. If you're single, get married. If you're married, have kids. If you're married, have kids. If you have kids, go baptize them. Oh Until next goodness. week, love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. Like Sorry. Like, like you've never this been is, on the show no, before. No, this is cross politics. How do you choose who to trust? Doesn't it usually come down to personal connection? then why do only 25% of people trust a real estate agent when our job is all about connection? Sounds like there's something missing. Here at Story Real Estate, we're looking for people with integrity and a willingness to serve others. When people get to know you in this career, they should discover a genuine and helpful person who can guide them through tough times. If that's you, join us today. I'm Chris Carpenter, the owner and founder of Story Real Estate. Click the learn more button and let's see if we have a career you'll love.